Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help you find your freedom in every aspect of your business. Captivity comes in many forms, from stale, ineffective sales and marketing tactics, to outdated technology and workflows, to teams who are performing far less than their true capabilities. On this show, you'll hear compelling conversations with your peers in the insurance industry, as well as from top-shelf professionals in related fields who are leading the charge towards what's coming next. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is Randall Bennett. And if I tried to pronounce the name of your company, I would surely butcher it. It, <laughs> it would not come out right. So help me out. How do I pronounce the name of your company? Q-I-X-E-N-T. Yeah, Quicksent is how I've, how I've termed it. Quicksent. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that because I got in there and I'm like, there is no way I'm going to say this right. So Randall, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate your time. This is going to be an adventure for us both because before about 10 minutes ago, you and I have never had uh, direct <laughs> contact. This is uh, for our listening audience. You guys know how much I don't really care for booking agents. They always have an agenda and it doesn't always align with my agenda to deliver you amazing content. But in uh, in Randall's case, Kay over there at, uh, what is it, Speak On Podcast or whatever whatever agent you decided to, to work with, Kay gave me exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, this guy sounds like a great interview. Yeah, I will definitely have him on my podcast. So uh, she did her job and here you are, man. I look forward to this. Fantastic. This is going to be fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I think you're an interesting uh, interviewer. I think you get to really good questions and you have a really good conversation. So I'm excited to have one with you. Okay, cool. Interesting is such a polite word. I never know which way to take that. Is it interesting? <laughs> like, whoo, you're weird. Or interesting is in, wow, that was insightful. I, I never know which way to go. So I'm just going to tell myself it was it was something positive on the interesting scale. So man, I love talking with new people. And that's definitely you. Uh, I spent about 30 seconds on your LinkedIn to make sure I get a, a good feel for what you're about and your professional time and everything. Why don't you give our audience uh, the, the Randall Bennett story and whatever direction you want to take that in? How in the world did you find yourself to this chapter of life doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I always tell this story. I think it's really funny. Um, I think for the vast majority of people I know, unless their parents was an actuary, they generally have no idea about running an insurance company or being in insurance or being an insurance agent. Um, and for me, that was exactly the case. I graduated from undergrad. My father told me, you know, oh, it sounds good that you want to become a lawyer, but in case that never happens, you need to go out and find a real job. And I took his advice. I started, uh, I started at Allstate Dealer Services down in Jacksonville, Florida a role that was very near and dear to my heart, developing insurance products. Uh, I was very lucky to have that role to just jump right in as a product development analyst, having no experience in products and insurance at all. And then from there, I uh, thought how interesting this insurance thing is. And it's not at all like what I saw on television. I would interact with independent agents who were selling to dealers who were then selling dealer F&I products. 
And then from there, I just kind of let my career take me where it would go. And uh, that followed into property and casualty here in the in Chicago, uh, again, working with independent agents. And then that experience took me to developing products for a smaller brand. And then that experience led me to co-founding Sigo Seguros, which is a non-standard auto company that focuses on the Hispanic market in the US. And then from there, it just kept going and going to where I, I guess I won't keep going in on every stop, but I, I landed now at Quicksent where I want to help people uh, develop insurance products and help push innovation in the insurance game. Man, that is even more diverse than I remember from LinkedIn. That's fasc- <laughs> fascinating there. You really have like made your way around to most of the little pockets in the industry, uh, especially on the, the PNC side of things. Before we get into the quick set thing, I want to ask about Sego Seguros because I hear your voice and I see your face and I'm like, how did that happen? I bet that's an interesting story. So, how did you come to find yourself going after non-standard auto targeting the Hispanic submarket? How did that come about? Yeah, so uh, I, I went to college at FIU down in Miami, and the thing that we always joke about Miami is that it's uh, the best thing about Miami is how close it is to the United States, right? It's a very different world. It's a lot yeah. more Latin American than it is like U.S. Um, yeah. And and that's not that's it's meant as like something very beautifully, right? It's not meant as a dig. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's unique and it's its own way. In college, yeah. I learned Spanish. A lot of my friends uh, are Hispanic, and it became something that became uh, just kind of my, I don't know, a, a bit of my circle. And so then I got to non-standard auto practice. Uh, I was building insurance products there, and I noticed that these Hispanic communities were over-indexed um, in terms of their loss ratios, that they were a lot uh, less riskier than they were being priced as. I had the idea, hey, one day I'm going to start an insurance company. It's going to be better serving for kind of black and brown communities, including Hispanic and, and, and underserved communities in the, in the US. And then I got connected through a friend with my co-founder who his experience was all having been the de facto insurance agent for his family who didn't necessarily speak English as their first language or weren't as comfortable conducting business in English. And he was trying to help them build and get insurance uh, and build their credit and get the right insurances that they need. And he was like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. I wonder if I can start an insurance company. And we happened to meet at the right time. And then, the, as I said, the rest is history. And now uh, Seago is out there still doing its thing. And uh, I'm very excited every time I see some news come out about them. Love it. Now, are you still involved with them in some way or did you divest yourself of that uh, venture? I am no longer involved on a day-to-day. Okay. Very cool. No, yeah. that's, uh, I, I love that little off-ramp there on the, this conversation. I, yeah. I figured that was going to be an interesting origin story and you did not disappoint. <laughs> I, I got to agree. Uh, Miami is one of my favorite cities. It is very interesting and it is very not American. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost in the same category as like a New York or London or Paris exactly. where it's the definition of an international city. Absolutely. So, it has its own, its very own culture. It's really cool. It's really nice. Mm. Well, and, and you're the fourth or fifth person to be on this podcast who either currently or used to live in Miami. Uh, you're, you're in very good company there. So the, the Quicksent world is, ex- exists in tech. I have to be honest, I have no idea what Quicksent does. I went to your website and it's basically a holding place for a website that doesn't exist yet. 
and I looked around on LinkedIn and it all seems, and I, I don't mean this in any sort of dig to you guys, it seems very buzzwordy. I, I, <laughs> I read about it and try to get like familiar with what we're going to talk about today. It was like, yeah, it sounds really cool, but I have no idea what this company does. <laughs> Well, I will say that by the time this episode airs, I believe that the the website will look a little bit different. So for anyone that's out there, a little bit more than a landing site. But nevertheless, I can appreciate it, understand what you mean, uh, because it is and still very I hesitate much to say repeating. that at all, because I don't mean yeah. to be like knocking you guys at all. I was no, just no, no, like no. coming into this interview with a whole bunch of curiosity because I don't really know what this company does. So no, it's the reality. Lay it on us, I mean, man. It's it's absolutely reality. Uh, the, I mean, the simplest way I would answer it is: I want to help people build insurance products, right? I want to help people who have an insurance idea take that idea and develop it into a process, develop that process into a product, and turn that product into profit. Uh, so whatever your idea may be, into into a way that better serves the insurance industry, that helps further innovation, I want to help out with it. Uh, so one of the clients mm. that I'm working with today has an idea that helps better risk management uh, services and, and safety management helping on construction sites here in the U.S. And it's a really interesting concept. And they're really modernizing kind of what has been a single safety manager doing their thing the entire time on a job site. Now they're helping to modernize it, give them some technological efficiencies, helping to build out their program that way. And so then that's one example. Another example of a uh, client that I've been working with is helping to look at fire mitigation uh, for homeowners out in California, which is something that's very impactful on a day to day. So, I, yeah. I, th and the idea is to just really help design insurance products. Right? It's it's very nebulous because it's a very nebulous concept. Right? What does that even mean within the idea of insurance? Um, and so mm. that's what I would how I would phrase it at a at a high level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It's it's almost like a pre-incubator of sorts with like a 101 Weston Labs and our friends over there at uh, the Big Eye of North Carolina, Abby Knight and their crew. Like they have an incubator, but it's for already established companies, already established, you know, people that have reached co-founder status and already have a, a fully formed idea and are, are ready to go to market. It sounds like you guys are doing something similar, but earlier in the supply chain than that even you know where someone doesn't yet have a finished product and maybe he hasn't even fully conceptualized exactly what this thing is and does is is that a, a fair very that general fair. assessment that, i would say that's that's one angle but a lot of the clients that i talk to and a lot of prospects that i talk to are not insurance uh experts right they have never worked in insurance they have their own yeah. established vertical um, they may have a client base that is already, you know, 250,000 users. Maybe they work with automobile drivers in some form of capacity. Gotcha. And now they're like, hey, all of our automobile insurance drivers or all of our auto drivers are asking for auto insurance, saying that it's too hard, it's too expensive for them to get it. We've been exploring this. Can you, we need your help helping to design an insurance product that helped to serve them. And so that's really where I come in, right? Is that you know your clients, you know your product, you know your vertical, and you have an idea for insurance, but really don't have the technical acumen uh, to establish that insurance product and then and enter that insurance vertical. And that's where I come into play. So like your agents, hmm. I will also offer uh, designated licensed producer of record services. Uh, will help you stand up your agency, will help you get appointed with other carriers so that way you can start offering their insurance products to your existing 
uh, customers. And so it's a very broad spectrum in that form as well. Hmm. No, that's fascinating. It's wonderful that your personal background includes direct interaction with so many parts of the product ecosystem because you at, you know, at a previous time were at Swiss Re, which is one of the largest reinsurance companies in the world. You have been in product design at Allstate, which of course is the second largest PNC carrier uh, in the US marketplace. And it's almost like you're tailor-made to be doing what you're doing at this point in your career. Like you've bounced around to enough of the ingredients on the good insurance product uh, recipe card. So now <laughs> you're able to do stuff that I don't know if anybody else is able to do like you do. Very uh, interesting way of coming to this point in your career, man. Bravo. Like that's, Thank that's you. fascinating. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. And yes, I think I'm, I've been very lucky in that regard. I, I think that probably you get the same in that I talk a lot about insurance at parties. And so a lot of people start, you know, they'll, they'll laugh and they'll scoff, but then I'm like, no, but seriously, let's, let's talk about insurance. Tell me about your insurance experience, or did you know about this new thing that's happening or this new coverages that's happening? Um, and then everyone's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I had no idea. Uh, and I think that's really prepared me well for people that want yep. to come into insurance and don't understand it. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I mean, I imagine you and I have the same requirement for success. And it's that we have to be good storytellers first. Because if we're not good storytellers, then yeah, insurance is incredibly boring and commoditized <laughs> and generic and immediately forgettable if, if we're bad at telling stories. But the moment that you start telling the story of, well, hey, this is what I do and this is how a good idea goes to market and becomes you know, something that you know, people can interact with. I love what you said about process, then product, then profit. That's obviously gone through a little bit of wordsmithing on your end, uh, <laughs> the way that it so smoothly came out. But getting someone to understand, hey, you got a great idea. Or like to, and thank you for giving me the context on some of the people you work with. You're already a very successful company in a different vertical, perhaps. And you have an idea for how this might interact with the very, very, very profitable insurance industry because I mean, sometimes profitable. If you're writing wind coverage in coastal Louisiana, probably not profitable for, <laughs> you know, two out of three years. But the opportunities, especially for tech enabled companies to be coming into our industry. And I have to admit, if you've listened to this podcast uh, more than a couple of episodes, you've probably heard me say things like, you know, people that come into our industry without understanding insurance, you know, they're great tech people, but they're not great insurance people. Sometimes they have some real challenges. And I would imagine that's something that you help them with, right? You're absolutely right. I think you've hit it directly on the head. Um, I often kind of will say that in today's kind of world and in the digital era that we're living in within insurance, innovation isn't just about technology, that it's about reimagining customer relationships and it's about risk management. And so the first time when someone comes in and says, you know, I don't, I want to go direct to consumer. I don't want any independent agents. I don't want any agents in, in distribution force. I start challenging that perspective of why, what is it that you think that you can deliver better than this very established industry uh, that is spread out and has all of the relationships that you want? What is it that you can do better? Oftentimes it becomes, well, I don't want to pay the commission and the margins. <laughs> and so that's a, that's a very challenging conversation for them to get over, but it's easy, right? It's uh, it takes. I was some about time. to say, I know why they don't want to because they'd rather keep that twelve to fifteen percent for their margin. 
Absolutely. And for an MGA, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that that's easy, right? For an MGA that's already working on tight margins, it's hard to say that you're going to go out to an independent agent and give away some of the margin directly to commission. But oftentimes you'll find that that's the fastest pathway to success and profitable success, right? Yeah. You mentioned the idea of the technology boom and they really build tech. That's a conversation that I have with a lot of different early stage. You, you mentioned some of the other very early stage kind of co-founders and founders. And I tell them, listen, at some point you're going to need to shift because there are a lot of different insurance agents right now who still do this by paper, who call up their clients every other day and say, you know, here's this, here's that, and happy birthday, stopping by the party, congratulations to the new house. They're doing this all by hand. They're doing this all by analog with phones and by paper. And they have a much bigger book than you do. At some point, you're going to need to figure out how to go from building a very sophisticated technology stack to winning customers and winning the relationship game and growing that business. So you're absolutely right. Well, and I think one of the most fascinating things for me as a suburban, but right next to a very large urban area in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is this podcast has really taught me that every single way of doing insurance is still working and is still successful. It's just all contextual. You know, as a few weeks ago, I was uh, talking with an agent in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It's like the way that insurance happens successfully in Lincoln, Nebraska is very, very different than how we do it at Riskwell. Mm -hmm. Much more personal, much more individualized, much more stopping by the birthday party or you know, going to the title office when they're closing the house and, you know, high-fiving them or whatever. It's like, I've literally never done that ever. And <laughs> I've been doing this for 11 years. It was like, every single way that people interact, whether it's technology focused or human to human focused or some hybrid between the two, it still works. It just depends on who you are, where you are in the country, where your customer is in the country. And you know, contextual stuff like that, that really defines the reality. But it, it wasn't until I had 140 something conversations that I stopped saying things like, oh, that doesn't work anymore. It's like, it yeah. absolutely works. It's just a question of where does it work? I have a very near and dear friend of mine who is from um, uh, South Dakota and went to Nebraska uh, for undergrad. And his life to me is like, leave it to be. He had a paper route as a child. He found his dog on the, on the paper route. His dad didn't want the dog. And then dog became the family dog. It's like very much just like an episode of Lever to Beaver to me. It's beautiful to me. It's amazing. Mm. And that's exactly the case. The same thing I've heard from him, that his friends uh, that do life insurance, that do insurance, that do PNC insurance, that do uh, financial assistances, they are going out and picking up calls, sending cards, sending Christmas cards, sending birthday cards. And I think there's, there's probably a bit of modernization that can happen there, but you're absolutely right. It's still successful. It's still paying the bills and delivering a profitable insurance agency every day. Yeah. There's a lot of customers, a lot of clients out there that expect that level of, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat, as they Completely. say. Uh, but then on my side of the coin, there's a lot. If I tried that here in the DFW area, people would be like, why did you come to my office? <laughs> we were on a zoom call last week i don't understand why you're here right now so it would be 
an annoyance rather than, uh, oh, hey, James, how's it going? Let me shake your hand and say, hey, buddy, how was the baseball game last night? Like, it's, it, it's, it's so funny to me how completely different normals exist depending on how old you are and where you are in the country and you know, your, your family of origin, your cultural and ethnic background. Like, it, it's all literally all up for, for grabs. Like, literally every version of that is still perfected. How in the world do you make sense of that when you're talking about insurance products? Because Ryan Hanley, who I don't know if you know him well, he, he's a big fan of talking about human optimized. Mm. And the stuff that he talks about is like the ideal intersection of the human element and the technology element. And that is a continuum, of course. And you have fully human over here, zero tech. Fully tech over here, zero human. And everybody exists somewhere in between. How do you, as someone who's helping folks develop and go to market with products, how do you make sense of that, one, for yourself, and how in the world do you help people figure out what's best for them and their ideal client? I think you're absolutely right. I think you've set it up very well, and I think without getting into like too much technical acumen about yeah. you know, labor yeah. versus capital and you know, marginal return and of product, et cetera, et cetera. The idea is to just try to find that unique balance, right? So I need you to really understand your customer. We're going to start with a current state assessment. I want to know how much you know about your customer and what you don't know about your customer. I want to help you figure it out, right? And then from that standpoint, we're going to understand where is the right balance, like you described, between what I would call friction, right? How much friction is the appropriate amount for your customer? Do they want to call and talk to someone on the phone right away? Are they happy to just leave a text message, leave a voicemail, take a picture, describe something out of a long text chain? And generally, like you said, that follows kind of cultural norms and identity norms. What is your client's majority kind of um, age group? Where do they index on kind of how much coverage they're seeking? Because also what generally happens is, is the more assets you hold, the more likely you want to have an, an, an advisor, right? An advisor type relationship where talk to someone on the phone about the two houses and about the summer home and about the kids that are coming off to go to college and should I keep them on my auto insurance policy, right? All things that the independent agent intrinsically knows. And so when I'm going to talk to someone who wants to do direct to distribution, we're basically having a crash course on that. And then we're trying to understand what's their work. How do you want to pass that through? And I know that uh, from what I've heard at Riskwell, you were the only licensed producer at the company with a lot of account executives. Right? And that probably creates a very optimized flow that you have. Is that the same kind of approach that this client wants to take? Or do they want to take something that has all of the kind of uh, uh, fleet of ins licensed insurance agents who are constantly on the phone doing outbound sales? So it's really just trying to understand what their goals are and what their customer, who their customer is and what their customer's needs are. No, that's fantastic. And that customized, individualized approach is... I think probably the only way to answer that question, but helping them process through what is my ideal client profile? What yeah. is my value offering? I don't like the word proposition. It sounds just odd and transactional. When people's like, oh, my value prop is such a, I'm just like, oh, do you have to sound like such a tech bro? It's like the, the, you know, the B2B tech sales guy, I digress, but. No, you're absolutely right. I hear the you. The value offering 
has to be figured out. Like in, in chapter one of my book, Leaving Captivity, like you have to read chapter one before everything else because chapter one is brand, it's vision, it's mission, it's what are your core values. It's like I would imagine, you know, some of the folks that you work with already have that very well defined because they're very successful in other industries. So how in the world do you help them through that in a pre go to market conversation? Because obviously before you develop the product, you have to figure out who is our audience, who's our target customer for this product. And I'm sure in the same ex- it would it would mirror a lot of the experience that you've had is that uh, a lot of a lot of my clients want to skip the first chapter. We've got it figured out. Okay, you've got it figured out for your vertical, uh, but do you have it figured out for the insurance vertical? Do you understand the yeah. value that you're bringing with an insurance? Um, it, it, I think that, like you said, it's it's really customized. So it takes kind of a scenario to build it out. I think that if it's customer facing, if it's B two B, right? If it's a commercial risk that they're looking at, then I start prescribing. Here's generally what the industry looks for. Here's what someone as a um, independent commercial broker is looking for to provide to their clients. Here's the troubles and the hurdles that they're trying to overcome today, whether that be harder to get fire coverage or coverages in fire prone areas, whether that's harder to get to understand how much shrimp they have in their shrimp farm. Um, all These are the kind of topics that they're challenged with today. How are you addressing what actually matters to them? On the personal lines, they're using independent agents. For me, it's independent agents are concerned about A, having market, market competitive returns on the uh, commission, uh, a market competitive commission, and they want ease of doing business. And they want to know that when their client has a problem and they send you a claim, it's not going to be flat rejected for something that was a, a simple oversight or something that was challenging because that's going to ruin their reputation personally. These are the kind of things that the agent is concerned So it becomes really a conversation where I'm listening and saying, okay, here's what I heard. Here is what I heard from you. Here's what you're doing today. Here's where I think you should shift, or here's how I think it aligns with what their concerns are. I think that that's really the approach. You really hit the nail on the head there. And I think I, in alignment with most of the audience of this podcast, maybe all the agents nationwide, when I say, if some company is easy to do business with, if their portal if their product is easy to interact with, if quoting and binding and issuing and servicing a product is easy, well, shoot, that's worth at least a couple of points in commission. You know, if a company is very easy to work with, then it it affects everything. It affects your operational efficiency. It affects profit. So, you know, the agents who are like, oh, well, this company pays 15, but this company pays 12 for the same product is like, well, that's Part of the conversation. What about the rest of it? Because exactly. you may very well find that that company that pays twelve is actually more profitable for your agency. It just absolutely. depends. Absolutely, it's very. It's it's. You're absolutely right. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't? Right. Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, 
Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Man, where do you want to take the the rest of the conversation? We planned well, for about 40 minutes of runtime and yeah, uh, we, we've got maybe 10, 12 minutes left. I'd love to pick your brain on the state of the industry, the challenges that you see going on and uh, as we move into 24 and beyond. If we can't, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of parametric insurance and I'm curious mm. how much you know about parametric insurance and what your take on parametric insurance is. I definitely think parametric has a place in the industry. Why don't you define parametric? We've talked about it a little bit. Okay. I have, there's a few people that I would like to get on and I haven't gotten around to getting them on yet who, what they do is parametric from start to finish. Why don't you define parametric in your words for the folks out there that yes, are not familiar with defined situation equals defined payout? Absolutely. So that's exactly it. So parametric insurance typically says that there has been a measurable event in a defined situation. Um, so an easy example is flood and wind and hail. So in a flood, you might say for a flood policy that, hey, there has been over 36 inches of rainfall within your area, and it's been a measurable event, and you have experienced a loss, automatically we will just pay the, the amount that is owed to you, let's say $25,000, is automatically delivered. There is no filing a claim. There is no review process. It is just, has there been the measurable event occurring? Have you experienced a loss? Cool. Here's the settlement amount for that. That is just typically how I would define it. Do you, would you define it differently? No, that's, that's precisely okay. it because there is a calculation that happens inside the insurance carrier where they look at their ALAE and their, you know, the attorney cost inside and make a business decision that paying these across the board is less than their allocated loss adjustment expenses. For those of you that are like, wait, what's ALAE? It's like, well, we haven't really talked about claims too much in this podcast, but I have CPCU after my name, so I could just sound like a smart aleck for stuff like well that done. comes along. But that business decision is just fascinating to me because it's 100% a question of how in the world do we extract more profit from this operation? And it's going to take into account things like NPS scores and retention and average customer lifetime value and all these things that have nothing to do with the dollar on the claim, but it all gets lumped into some decision-making apparatus where they go, you know what? This sounds like a risk that would be appropriate for parametric rather than traditional, you know, claims-based approach to, to insurance. I See, I knew I was going to like you. I knew it when I saw your LinkedIn. It was like, this guy's a nerd. This guy gets all the <laughs> way into it just like I do. I think me and Randall are going to get along just fine. And You're absolutely you have right. not disappointed. Now, well, so what I'm here's about the thing. Par yeah. Parametric is Please. something most agents have no direct interaction with. They, they may have read an article in Insurance Journal or, or you know, Insurance Agent Magazine once, but they probably don't have any idea what it is. So you, you want to get into it somehow? You know, chop yeah, it up a absolutely. Bit? So I'm, I'm really curious where you think it could go because in my mind, you're absolutely right that this is kind of a, a behind the scenes of it's, I always say insurance is already very niche and now you're going into an even more sub, more niche product when it comes to parametric. But I'm curious mm -hmm. kind of your take. So I was, that's why I asked because I've been kind mm -hmm. of mulling around this idea. 
I do think that parametric has a, a place in the insurance industry. There's a couple yeah. that are doing it really interestingly for kind of fire prone areas and hard to insure risks where they will kind of stack on top of the policy of the existing underlying homeowner's policy, for example, and say the agent then can, can then say, hey, you take a higher deductible and then you pay less for your overall insurance policy. And then this parametric policy will come in and cover your deductible specifically when there's a loss in that instance, right? So yep. it kind of creates a bit of arbitrage savings for the client in that case, right? Yep. What I, no, I, I I agree. I think yeah, the usability is really one use case, but line of business specific too. And when I think of like travel insurance, mm -hmm. like Allianz is the first one that comes up. Is it's I mean it is the definition of you know quick because it's it's both embedded, but it could very easily be parametric as well. And you want to Completely. talk about buzzword heavy. When we say embedded parametric, it's like, whoa, he just what stacked the buzzwords. It's like, what is, <laughs> no, it's like buzzword, buzzword. It's like, hold on a second here. But the, the wind buyback is another one. Yeah. Flood is another one. Yeah. The getting into primary versus excess, talking about attachment points, self-insured retention. And mm -hmm. it, when we talk about what actually happens when a claim happens what happens mm -hmm. when something terrible goes down on the and i operate exclusively on the business side of insurance so forgive me for the audience members out there just like dear god he just threw like 12 different terms in in a span of 15 seconds like i'm sorry i'm kind of thinking out loud here please i'm just the design of a, a program like on the commercial side of things so much of what we do with the larger more complex cases we really have to get creative with designing the program so that the lines of business, the primary limits, the excess limits, the attachment points, the self-insured retentions, and so we're able to get what the client needs at the most competitive price possible. Like mm -hmm. thinking about those kind of building a complex program, if we had parametric solutions that we could plug in in certain hard parts where traditional, you know, primary versus excess products don't really get the job done. Like there's plenty of lines of business that traditionally underwritten via actuarial tables, uh, property casualty insurance just isn't sufficient. I mean, look at coastal wind right now. Coastal wind is probably the definition of hard to place. So that is exactly where I'm curious. What do you think it takes to get that done? From you as an agent's perspective, I want to do, if I come in and say, hey, I want to do uh, a parametric insurance policy on coastal risks for all of your homeowners that were not able to get a standard insurance policies before they have to go out into kind of a weird marketplace to try to get this. Mm -hmm. What do you think, how, how does that conversation go? How do you convince a consumer that this is a good idea? Because that's where I'm stuck on selling this to a consumer. I think it is perfect for the parts of the country where access to the policy coverage at all at any price point is becoming mm -hmm. difficult where it's not affordability it's availability right and i think in areas like houston you know galveston county uh, which is very difficult and we have a ton of business in the new orleans area thanks to some very successful channel partners that we work 
quite a bit with, you know, in those areas in uh, Monroe County, Florida, Key West, and that area of Florida, it is extremely difficult to get insurance in in Key West, Florida. Now, granted, it's a very small island, but just as an example, I mean, in those parts of the country where a certain kind of insurance becomes very difficult to acquire at any price, mm-hmm. I would think a parametric solution uh, is definitely a lot more attractive, not just to the buyer of the insurance product, but the company that wants to profit off of the sale of that product. Sure. Yeah, you, your, your carrier, your program administrator is a lot more likely to be inclined to do something if they have a very clear path to profitability. Yeah, I think that that makes it, it, that's exactly the case. And then I also think one of the things that's, that maybe might have been left out in this conversation, especially as we talk about the benefit to consumers, that it, it really gets um, kind of cash in their hands right away, right? This long adjudication process doesn't exist. There's no long back and forth. It's just, oh, you had a measurable event. We see that you had it. You had a claim. Here is the benefit amount, right? And so that's where I think it's really interesting. Where I've seen it deployed at a larger scale has been for, let's say, like the state of New York, who has bought a parametric insurance policy for the city of New York. And that way, when an event happens like a hurricane that happens around New York City, this measurable event happens. This is now a payment in the millions that goes towards the city of New York. And the city of New York is able to disperse to emergency services kind of right away. And not have to wait for FEMA, and not have to wait for the long uh, kind of adjudication process. So that speed in recovery is also really important when it comes to parametric. And when you think of the use cases for public entities, whether it's cities, counties, states, school districts, ISDs, uh, paragovernmental organizations, parametric makes a lot of sense. Completely. You know, thinking about it from the Midwest, like if you know X Y Z city wanted to have a, a wind policy that was very specific to tornado risk. Like how many cities in Oklahoma have been devastated by a tornado? Like, yep. I mean, it's, the data is, is just mind-blowing, I would imagine. I don't have any firsthand experience, but anecdotally, yeah. So something like that where a public entity, and yeah, for those that are still listening to this episode, strangely enough, I can't imagine why you would be unless you're a complete nerd like we are. Like just thinking about the possibility of how can we as an industry get better, categorically get better yeah, at at solving problems and doing them in, in ways that have real impact in people's lives. Because how many times have you heard someone complain their claim was taking too long? Exactly, exactly. If there isn't even a claim, it can't take too long. There it's, is no it's, claim. There, there is no adjuster. <laughs> it's done. It's easy. I'm also curious your idea kind of earlier we talked about engaging with your consumers and with your insurance. My general advice to people if they want to go into insurance and they want to become an agent, I always advise them to find a point where you can find a captive audience, right? Maybe you get in touch with a, um, uh, a real estate broker and every real estate transaction that they have, they refer you as an insurance agent to buy the, I don't know, your homeowner's insurance through it. But finding a way to find a point where something has happened that now they're more interested and more likely to buy insurance. So how is it that you go about it in your approach? And you said you had some key strategic partnerships and alliances. What is your approach there? And what are you thinking? The way that we've built this out is reputation support for these channel partners, it's, hey, 
Insurance is an annoyance. You don't want to deal with it. All of your customers need it. We're very good at it. We will approach this from the perspective of make you look good. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end of the day, for somebody who's outside of insurance, who doesn't care about insurance at all, other than I want it to work when it needs to work. Other than that, I don't care. Yeah. And when something bad happens, insurance pays out. And that's it. That's all, that's all they care about. When we can approach them and say, hey, we've built a system with a custom landing page with a custom intake form that is designed to be inside of your organization. And you can add this one document to your you know, acknowledgements in your, your intake that says, we partner with RiskWell. They will provide you a insurance solution for your acquisition. You are under no obligation to use them, but we will share your information with RiskWell and they will give you an insurance quote. Mm-hmm. Who's not going to take that? And we, we sell at an extremely high closing percentage, those kinds of relationships. I don't know what the data is, but anecdotally, it's well north of 90% of those mm. quotes get closed because wow. we make it extremely easy wow. for the buyer of an insurance product to go, oh, yeah, okay. So to touch on that buzzword that happens a lot nowadays, this embedded, it seems like you've really created an embedded insurance experience as an independent agent going into the market. Quasi. quasi. Okay. It's not embedded. It's okay. kind of feels embedded. One of the things that we're working on is, and we're literally a week or two away as I record this, by the time this episode drops, we will absolutely be doing this live in the marketplace. We have linked our intake forms on our website to an API from one of our providers that's not available to the public. So I'm sorry, but you you can't have access to this program. It's my program. Um, (laughs) We are rolling out a sub-agent program uh, for folks that want to write stuff with real estate investors in 2024. So I will see if it's ready by the time this episode drops in late January. And we may have another conversation at that point. But what we've done is taken an API from the provider to our website and done a quote bind issue sort of thing where they go to our website, fill out a form, that form sends the data t- through the API to the provider's system, which their system's pretty unique in that it generates a quote from the portal and emails that quote to the insured with a link that they can click on to bind coverage themselves and set up direct bill which is a big part of why we really like this particular provider. Of course. But that's that process, literally five seconds after that person hits submit on riskwell.com, requesting an internet quote for their real estate investment property, five seconds later, that quote is sitting in their email inbox. This is, this is beautiful. This is exactly so, what I think that someone needs to find for everything. You, you have it really ironed out very well of, this is the market that I want to go after. This is the niche that I want to focus in on. And here's how we've been able to execute on it. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. Well, and when you package that with an automation that simultaneously takes that person's phone number, waits 30 seconds to let the robots do their thing behind the scenes, 30 seconds later, that person gets a text message saying, hey, thanks so much for requesting your real estate investor quote from Riskwell. Please check your inbox. It should be waiting for you. If you have any questions or need help, call us at the office 469-678-8001. And that's it. There, there is no follow-up. 
We don't have a chain of automated communication with a sales cycle that takes a month because that person either buys or doesn't buy. And then, you know, 24 hours later, they're going to get a text and an email saying, hey, did you get your quote? What do you think? Let us know if you have any questions. If you like it, click the button in the quote and you're done. And then download your document after you pay for it and you're good. Perfect. Seamless. And then that's it. That's the entire automation sequence. Because everybody wants to get cute and have this beautiful little cadence with 32 touch points over X number of days. And I'm just like, if you do it right, the first two or three touches, you don't have to have other touches after that because the person is either going to buy or they're going to ghost you and you'll never hear from them again. Exactly. How much resources are you expending now that it's passed and how much is the value that you're getting back from these, right? When it's those drip campaigns, how much are you getting back after the fourth and fifth and sixth touch point? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I don't have data on this, so I could be completely wrong, but anecdotally, it, it works well for us. And we found that if someone doesn't take action on a quote within maybe 48 hours after that quote is delivered to them, th th likely they never will. Yeah, that makes so, complete sense. Because too, too many people are too busy. And, yeah. and that's where I think the, the embedded thing is really something that independent agents need to figure out how to take advantage of. Because once this is done, it, it's not going to be embedded. It's QBI and there's mm -hmm. a difference. I know it's, there's nuanced differences there, but embedded is in someone else's platform where they're not mm -hmm. intending to buy insurance. And quote mm -hmm. bind issue is the next best thing, I think, because in order for that to work, someone went to an insurance asset on the internet somewhere and went there looking to buy the product that they just bought. It, it yep. wasn't a, hey, you're buying an airplane ticket, so let's buy some Allianz travel insurance while you're at it. I mean, that's, that's the lowest hanging grape on the tree, right? Absolutely. For, for embedded insurance. That's Absolutely. That's like the, the granddaddy of embedded, right? I don't know if anybody did it before them. So I don't know if anyone's done it better, at least. Dude, it is the easiest box to check. And then I get that separate bill from Allianz <laughs> for $32 or whatever. I'm just like, I'm never going to have a claim. <laughs> I can't tell you how many dozens of travel insurance policies I've bought. I've never had a claim. I probably never will. It's, it's very funny now that you mentioned that. I wonder what they are doing. I, I, have, I don't have any insights to how that program is performing. But yeah, you're probably right that it is just generating profitably. It's like a term life insurance policy. Extremely profitable because the overwhelming majority of them term out without ever paying. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. The, um, Sorry, I know we never talk about life insurance on this podcast because I do exactly zero of that, but I did in a previous life. So that's you've done more than me. Uh, the I'm also curious, kind of your idea when you're talking about insurance agents and figuring out kind of QBI and figuring out where to do the right partnerships. Where do you see strategic partnerships coming into play for independent agents? At what size? What scale? What part of their life cycle do they need to start thinking about having larger strategic partnerships? Today, yesterday, <sighs> a week ago, a month ago. I, I don't care what size agency you are. And in yeah. case you're wondering, yeah, I did notice that you turned into the podcast host and now you're interviewing me I'm about sorry, 15 I'm, minutes ago. I'm very no. curious about your, your no, no, thoughts no, as fun. well. <laughs> no, I, which makes this interesting. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm trying to be a little bit self-aware there. The answer is you have to have strategic partnerships at every size of your organization. 
from day one. Like if you can have strategic partnerships lined up before you open your doors, do that too. Because if you have a strategic partner, channel partner is the language that we use. Mm -hmm. You understand their business. They understand your business. And you're both bought into the idea that we have mutually aligned interests and a, a, a channel partnership makes sense here. Yeah. So, no, these are the, these it, are the, the the same conversations I'm having through Quicksend. So I, I was curious to hear kind of your expertise and where you align. And I think that you and I probably align on a lot of the same things as we've kind of heard in this conversation, where you're asking me questions and I wanted to ask you some questions to to kind of get your insight as well. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's just about removing friction from the buying process and anything that we can do to take advantage of someone else's trust, to take advantage yeah. of the good branding, the, the good professional behavior that other people have. Because at the end of the day, a referral is nothing but the transfer of trust from one party to another. Is that customer, Absolutely. if they really like someone that's an advisor, pick a vendor, doesn't matter, loan officer, you know, financial advisor, CPA, attorney, whatever. If someone's attorney says, I think it's a good idea for you to talk to this person, mm-hmm. 100% they're talking to that person <laughs> because their attorney said, I think it's a good idea for you to talk to this person. And that's the only reason. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had a conversation with a referral and it starts like this. Hey, James. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm calling because so-and-so said I should. Yeah. Well, what's going on? What's, what's the problem that you're looking to solve here? And then they get into whatever the reason was. But it's like, oh, I called you because so-and-so said to. And it's like, that is the easiest sale. Because all you have to do is do your job. Absolutely. And that's it. Absolutely. As long as you meet the baseline expectations that person brought to the conversation, all of the other things that you, know, you have to worry about most of the time don't exist anymore because the transfer of trust made that irrelevant. It's the box is checked in that person's mind. Can I trust this person? They were referred by so-and-so. If that person that referred them has a high level of trust, well, you just inherited a bunch of that trust just because they sent you. So I it, really like the way that you've framed this as transfer of trust. Do not be surprised when you see that kind of in a, uh, a, in a tweet or in something of mine that I, that I put that out there. That's a really lovely sense of it, the way that you put that. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate that. This, I, I have thought a lot about this because a lot of people rely too much on the referral, but mm-hmm. they are looking to casual relationships to send referrals. And I, I just don't believe in that. I think mm-hmm. the whole idea of, oh, I want to have 50 loan officers and 50 realtors that I see once in a while that refer me business. Are they really referring you business though, or are they just right. handing out your information? Like, if you have, give me five or 10 quality channel partners, and I'll take that all day long over 100 casual ones. If someone's an advocate for my business and says to their customer, or their client, hey, Riskwell does a really good job. I know them. I like them. I think you should probably consider working with them. Like, to me, that is worth 100 referrals of, Oh, you need insurance for this transaction? Here, call Riskwell. <laughs> I love the way you think. Totally different, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I, we're, we're about to land the plane here, man. I will hand you the mic again. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to get into? Any final remarks? 
No, I think that um, we've, we've covered a lot. I've enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed to be able to chance to get your, to pick your brain as well. I always enjoy kind of hearing everyone's thoughts about insurance. And I think for the shameless plug, it's, you know, Quixent, Q-I-X-E-N-T. And uh, for anyone who is exploring the idea of entering into insurance from a kind of product development standpoint, entering into the insurance vertical, wanting to offer solutions to kind of the insurance industry. This is where we kind of hone our teeth and where we're kind of the experts in giving you the customized solutions and the customized plans that you need. So to translate that into something we've talked about before in, in, in the podcast land, everybody. Please. If you have an idea that you're trying to figure out, how in the world do I figure out if this is a thing or not, then you should be going to the show notes and finding Randall Bennett's information. If you're sitting here going, hey, I can't find a solution for insert product or line of business here. <laughs> Why hasn't somebody done this? Well, maybe it's because you're the one who's going to do that. So. Perfectly said. Are you, are you open to coming to work for Quixen? Can I send you uh, kind of our, our, our hiring screens? Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys can afford me, but sure, let's have can. that conversation. I probably can't. <laughs> but I'm always down for consulting, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, man, this has been a really interesting, super nerdy conversation. No apologies in case you're wondering. I'm sure the title of this episode will be something like Randall Bennett on super nerdy stuff like embedded and parametric and what, whatever it was that we talked about in the first 15 or 20 minutes. I'll go back and listen to it before Miami. I pick the title. Miami, yes. <laughs> there you go. Miami, parametric, and products. Yeah. There you go. It has the, a nice the title just found itself. Yeah. Yeah, it has a nice Okay. Ring. Well, hey, check out his information in the show notes. I'll make sure uh, that's, uh, it sounds like you're, you're real big on Twitter. Is there any, anywhere else that people can connect with you if they want to talk further? I would say I'm more active on LinkedIn. So if you want to talk further, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Go to the website. There's an uh, opportunity to connect as, uh, that way as well. Reach out and lovely. That's right. Happy because by the time this episode drops, your website will be live. Quicksent, Q-I-X-E-N-T dot com. <laughs> really hard to say, but it's easy to spell. Q-I-X-E-N-T dot com. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Hey, and uh, just in case you're wondering, yes, I refuse to call it X. It's Twitter. It always will be. I'm not calling it X. Sorry, Elon. So Same page. Hey, all right. He is Randall Bennett, and this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks as always for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Those subs and reviews are actually super important for our reach to new listeners. Get your copy of my book, Leaving Captivity, on Amazon or Audible for the audiobook version. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your thoughts, questions, ideas, and general feedback to us at podcast at jamesjenkins.com. Agency Freedom is produced and distributed by podsquad.fm. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Until next time. Let's go.